0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you would go to the Lord with me again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again now for a time to look at your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the truth that you have in it. I Thank you for the grace that you've shown us and the mercy to reveal that truth to us, the need that we have, the conviction, the Savior that was necessary. Father, I pray that you would glorify him now. That you would show us our sin and our need for him and that ultimately, Lord, he would be glorified tonight. Father, it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles and don't be afraid to use your concordance. If you're just joining us this evening, let me catch you up to where we are. This book began with Habakkuk asking God why he's letting so much evil and wickedness go unanswered. He told God, he asked God really, why he was allowing um, violence to take place, why he was looking on idly at what was happening. He told God that it seemed like justice was being perverted, it sounded like the law was paralyzed, and Habakkuk was questioning God, why are you letting this happen? And God's answer was unexpected. He told Habakkuk, he said, Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe me if I told you what I was going to do. He said, I'm going to take these pagan Babylonians and I'm going to use them to conquer and discipline my people. This really didn't make things better for Habakkuk. He said, you're right, God, I don't believe you. How can you use a a pagan country, a country that doesn't even believe you exist, to to punish your own people? He said, God, if you allow this to happen, all you're going to do is prove to them what what they think, that, that their gods are more powerful than you. To which God responded, he said, Habakkuk, listen, I know you can't understand what I'm doing right now, which is why, and this is important, God said, that's why the righteous should live by faith. He said, the righteous shall live by faith, meaning God was saying, those who trust in me will find life even when it seems like the bad guys are winning. So this got me thinking, because in a minute we're going to read this passage about God's promise that this greedy, thuggish, arrogant nation of Babylon is going to get what's coming to them. So I wondered, is there anyone out there you wish would get theirs? And I know you're in church and you're supposed to say, no, I love everybody and blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that guy at work that steals your lunch or that, you know, mean lady that yells at you for walking on the wrong side of the sidewalk. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about truly evil people. Like, have you ever been robbed? I'm talking about that kind of feeling of being violated. I'm talking about thieves and child abusers and murderers. I'm talking about powerful men who are willing to use child slavery to build their empires. I'm talking about elitist politicians who don't care how many thousands of men, women, and children die in the wars that they manufactured in order to profit from from the defense funding. I'm talking about self-appointed bureaucrats who fund the development of a virus that kills people along the lines of the Holocaust in order to capitalize on the fear-driven demand for the vaccine that they also happen to create. Know anybody like that? Know anyone who needs an appointment with their Creator in order to be reminded that they're not God? That's the kind of people God is talking about in the second half of Habakkuk chapter 2. He's talking about what's going to happen to Babylon, who thinks she is above correction. Who thinks she's isolated from justice because of her wealth. Who thinks she is beyond condemnation because of her defenses that she has set up. However, by the time we're done this evening, I want you to see that that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are actually a refugee of Babylon. Babylon. I want you to see tonight that you are actually, we, are refugees of Babylon. Look at the first half of verse 6 in Habakkuk chapter 2. God says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against Him with scoffing and riddles for Him? Now before we move on, who are these who are doing the taunting and who is Him that will be taunted? Well, if you look up a couple of verses at the first half of verse 4, you'll see God describes someone who is puffed up. And about halfway through verse 5, he says, that puffed up person, he says, His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he can, has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. In other words, the one in verse 6 who is going to be taunted and scoffed at is Babylon, this arrogant, greedy nation that is gathering nations and people for, their, for themselves. And the one doing the taunting in verse 6 are those who Babylon had trampled. The weaker nations that Babylon has crushed, because like death, they never had enough And then what we have in the rest of chapter 2 is a prophecy of what that reversal is going to look like. It's this very vivid imagery of the oppressed now standing over the oppressor. And the way God does this is through five woes, which are kind of like curses, like, like divine prophecies of judgment. And I want you to notice how each of these woes or curses, it has two elements First, at the beginning of each woe, we'll see that there's this description of Babylon's sin. But then second, each section will have a turn or or a reversal that God says will take place. For example, look at the first woe in in the second half of verse 6 where God says the plunderer will be plundered. The plunderer will be plundered. He says, woe to him who reaps up what is not his own. For how long? and loads himself with pledges. Now here's the turn. He says, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. It's interesting, this language at the end of verse 6 about loading yourself with pledges, It's actually banking language. God's talking about all the tributes that that Babylon had forced all of these countries to pay them after they got conquered. But the image God is painting is that Babylon is taking out these, I would call them involuntary loans from these countries. And he's saying this bank is going to call those loans. Soon those nations that Babylon has plundered are going to plunder them. But notice secondly in verse 9, that God also says the home builder will be humiliated. The home builder will be humiliated. He says the second, well, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Here's the turn. He says, you have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork Respond. In other words, because they had wiped out so many people around them, Babylon thought their their homes were safe, like they had put them up on high and couldn't be touched. But God is saying, you've actually brought your destruction with you. Because those homes you built, they're the ones that are actually going to cry out against you. Look at the third woe in verse 12, where God says it's not just the home builder. He says the developer also is going to be devastated after the home, he says in verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. And here's the reversal, verse 13, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. In other words, God is saying that using violence as bricks and and blood is mortar to build your cities is like building a city out of matchsticks and kindling. You've simply built a huge bonfire that God's going to light on fire one day because it's He who will be worshipped in all the earth, not you. But once these people have built these houses and these cities for themselves, look what God curses them next for in verse 15. He says, The shameless will be shamed. He says, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Here's the reversal in verse 16. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. So the imagery at the beginning of that woe in verse 15 is is of the stronger forcing the weaker to drink themselves into oblivion. Except what Babylon is forcing these people to drink is their wrath. Meaning... Babylon thought it was fun, not just to defeat people, but to humiliate them in their defeat. And interestingly, regarding verse 17, about Lebanon, one of the records that we have that archaeologists have found from Babylon says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, ordered a road to be built directly from Lebanon to Babylon in order to, quote, drain the beauty of Lebanon's vast forests into Babylon. But did you catch how at the end of the fourth woe, in verse 17, is exactly the same as the end of the first woe in verse 8? If you look at the end of verse 17, it says, For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them, If you look at the end of verse 8, it says the exact same thing. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What does that mean? Well, notice the movement of these woes. In the first woe, Babylon is heaping up material and wealth. They're getting everything put together. Then in the second woe, they're building their houses out of harm's reach. And then in the third woe, they expand and those houses turn into cities. And finally, after they've gathered and built and fortified their cities and and houses, they're not content to just keep to themselves. No, they they venture outside their walls to humiliate their neighbors. And if you look at what precedes those bookends at the beginning of verse 8, God says, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. He says at the beginning of verse 17, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. In other words, what you have done to others, the violence and the bloodletting and the shame, they are going to do to you. You want to know something interesting? That's actually kind of what happened. The end of Daniel chapter 4, just as a a simple example, tells us that near the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, was absolutely humiliated by God. Daniel says that one night as Nebuchadnezzar was standing on his balcony just taking in, soaking up all of his his success and wealth and and, and everything that he had conquered. On that night, God took away his reason. He he took away his, his humanity. And Daniel says that for 12 months, this great king of Babylon lived like an animal out in the woods, ate grass, slept in the rain, But not only that, history tells us that that shortly after Nebuchadnezzar died, the Persians basically just walked into Babylon and took it over because they were so arrogant. But when the Persians attacked, history tells us, if you remember our study from Jeremiah, history tells us that many of the Babylonians experienced the same things that they had done to other nations. It says they strangled many of their wives and children to keep them from starving to death or being taken as slaves by Persia. And the historian Herodotus tells us that after the city was conquered that Persia impaled 3,000 of Babylon's high citizens on the wall for all to see. In other words, the once great city, this queen of the world that thought it was so safe, was humiliated and defeated. Just like God said. It's kind of interesting how that works. But that still leaves this fifth woe. What's that all about? In verse 18, the fifth woe is set apart by itself. And the reason is, is because it tells us that the root cause of all of Babylon's evil is their idolatry. It says in verse 18, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Told you this many times before, but one of the things that I love about Scripture is God's sarcasm. If you don't think God's sarcastic, you haven't read the Bible enough. God is openly mocking Babylon here for their dependence on on lifeless idols. He says in verse 18, the very fact that you had to make the gods that you worship means you are worshiping a liar. That that thing there that you think is creating and doing, you made it. That means it's lying to you. God is mocking the stupidity of trusting in something that you made or listening to something that cannot speak Or speaking to something that cannot hear. Babylon, you're literally talking to a rock or a stick and asking it to help you make things go right. But in contrast to all the noise that's surrounding these idols, the clanking of the tools as they made, the pleading and the begging for them to speak, all this noise of them chanting and praying for them to hear, God says in verse 20, that the earth goes silent before me in my holy temple. The earth waits for me to speak and when I do, they listen in reverent silence. In other words, listen, this is the warrior God speaking, the scary God Not the God who loves everybody. This is the frightening God. The Lord of hosts who's promising. Don't worry, Habakkuk. I may use Babylon for a while, but in due time they will be put in their place. I'll make these idolatrous people take the place of their idols. They will become deaf and mute and useless when they stand in front of me. What, what does that have anything to do with us, though? Well, here's the thing. What usually happens when we read something like this... ...is we tend to assume that we're Habakkuk. Meaning none of us in here read this passage thinking... ...we're the ones that God is condemning. We didn't read this passage as if we were Babylon. Yet throughout Scripture... Even after it's destroyed, Babylon is still used as this kind of, of figurehead for the anti-God movement. From the Tower of Babel in, in the beginning of Genesis, all the way to the, to the, to the prostitute in, in Revelation 17, Babylon is seen as the embodiment of everything that is opposed to God and His kingdom. Meaning, Babylon is, is in the Bible is, is both a real nation that was destroyed and a metaphor for the enemies of God who will be destroyed. Which means this, brothers and sisters, listen. The truth about this passage is that we need to remember that we once were citizens of this very nation that God is condemning. We once were the enemies of God, hostile toward Him and deserving of everything He promised Habakkuk here in this passage. We once had a, a destined appointment with God for judgment, to be humiliated and crushed. And maybe you're thinking that, I've never subjected nations or, Taken over like whole people groups. And that's probably true for most of you. But have you ever laughed at... Have you ever humiliated one of your siblings just for a laugh? Have you ever thrown someone else under the bus in order to benefit from from their demise? Have you ever looked at someone else's pain and suffering and did absolutely nothing... Because if your answer is no to all those questions, you need to speak to either one of your siblings or your spouse, and they'll tell you the right answer. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that we used to be the enemies of God. And not only were we the enemies, but he said later in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 7, that we were hostile toward Him. When we read what God is promising... To Babylon, in Habakkuk chapter 2, we are reading about us. We are reading about where we used to be. But something happened. Something changed. As I said at the beginning, we're no longer citizens of Babylon. No, now we are refugees of Babylon. But we're refugees of Babylon not because we were able to find our way out Not because we had some connections or knew the right people. No, listen. We would still be citizens of this this cursed nation. Subject to all the devastation God has promised Habakkuk here. If Jesus Christ hadn't gone behind enemy lines to rescue us. In other words, while we were condemned to stand before God... And be silenced for our depravity and iniquity. Jesus Christ stepped in front of us. When this this arrogance silencing wrath of God was set to be poured out on us. Jesus Christ said, no father, I'll drink that for them. Pour it out on me. And on the cross, about 2,000 years ago, God the Father unleashed all the wrath, all the punishment, all the anger, all the shame He had stored up for you and I on Jesus Christ. And Jesus' response to this terrifying truth, to this promised pain, His response to this assured aggression was not my will, Father, but yours be done. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you why you're here tonight. We're here tonight because Jesus was, Jesus condescended as a man so you could ascend as his friend. Because he was starved in the wilderness so you could feast in heaven. Because he was despised by men so you could be loved by God. Because he was reviled by his brothers so that we could be refugees of Babylon. Brothers and sisters, we're here tonight because Jesus was condemned of a crime he didn't commit so you could be acquitted of a crime you did. Because he was mocked by soldiers so you could be honored by God. Because he was stripped naked so you could be clothed in righteousness. Because he was flogged with the cat of nine tails so you could escape the flames of hell. Brothers and sisters, we're here tonight because Jesus Christ was cursed so you could be cured. Because he was broken so you could be made new. Because he bled so you could be bought. Because he was nailed to the cross to nullify your sin. Brothers and sisters, we are here tonight to remember that Jesus Christ died so that we can live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. What a gift you have given us in our Lord and Savior. It is good for us to remember, Lord, the the condemnation that we were once under. The wrath that was stored up for us. The judgment that we had incurred by, by our sin. And it's good for us to remember this, Lord, so that Jesus Christ is glorified. It's good for us to remember the cost that this this lamb paid. Father, I pray that in our hearts and in our minds as we leave this building tonight, that Jesus Christ would be on our minds and the glory that is due him for the the sacrifice he made, for the wrath that he absorbed, for the death death that he, he gave, Father. So it's in his name that I pray. Amen.